Ron and Anian. This is an 07 Jeep. There's more computer network in this car than the rocket that went to the moon. And that, that wiper circuit is probably more advanced than half the circuits on half the airplanes flying today. The car doctor. Besides uh, my pastor, you're probably the next person that my wife trusts the most. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, it's time to start your engines, America. 855-560-9900 is the phone number. Car Doctor 24-7 hotline. Give us a shout at 855-560-9900. I am Ron and Annie in the Car Doctor, and I'm here to help solve your problem, whatever you've got going on fender to fender and door to door. And I should actually not just say America, I should say around the world because, you know, that's where the Car Doctor is now with the power of the internet and podcasting and everything else and uh, the streaming and all the different ways to take this radio show. Um, we, uh, we're glad to be here for you. We know you've got a lot of choices. I really do mean that. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of choices and a lot of things to do with your time. And yet here you sit with me each and every week to, to, to listen to my ramblings about solving and repairing automobiles and uh, what yes, that might be. Yes, and Mike be. and I are uh, thinking about going to see a psychiatrist because uh, of that. Uh, well, you probably should. You know what they always say about a psychiatrist's office, though? Everybody should have a hot rod because you never see a hot rod parked outside of a shrink's office. This is true. They're so, all parked out back. Yeah, well, so they're all parked somewhere. Um, or they're broken down on the side of the road on the way to um, one or the other. Um, but this radio show, if you're new to it, is just, you know, listen, I didn't I didn't ask for this radio show. It was just kind of thrust upon me by the universe 27 some odd years ago. And here I sit. I've been repairing cars 43 years. And, um, you know, we just kind of take the, uh, the, the events in the shop and sort of display them up here on air. And somehow it becomes a show. And. Somehow it became a show, and somehow it became a hit. I can't kind of figure it out myself. It's just, but, you know, here we are. Two cars I want to talk to you about, and um, just just interesting things that, you know, observations in the shop this week. 2016 F250 XLT Ford pickup truck with a 6.2-liter gas motor. Big thing, you know, double-door uh, tow vehicle for a race car. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, the young man, um, uh, it's uh, Quinn Trimmer. Um, he's racing uh, today down at Wall Stadium, and uh, we actually sponsor the car. We're one of the sponsors on the car, Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. And um, his dad's truck broke, and we had a look at the air conditioning this week. And it was funny because the car had been in an accident. The truck had been in an accident two years ago, fixed by the local Ford dealer, and it was a front-end collision. And, you know, we're looking around like, is it somehow related to that? And, you know, is it, isn't it just what's going on? And the AC system failed the vacuum test, recovered refrigerant, what little it had in there in the system, pulled, pulled refrigerant out, uh, did, a, did a vacuum test where we, we you know, uh, pull vacuum on the system, meaning we take it into a vacuum state, less than atmosphere, and look to see does it hold vacuum. And it failed a vacuum test miserably. It failed it rather quickly, too, as a matter of fact. So I knew it had a leak. The question is where? Started to put a little refrigerant in, put eight ounces of refrigerant in just to see, you know, where does the leak, where does it come out the fastest with some dye, just to kind of sniff around and, and look for the fluorescence. And didn't really see anything. And then, you know, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed there was a moon crater on the front of the condenser. A moon crater is what I call 
you know, you could see that the truck had been traveling down probably the New Jersey Turnpike at some point doing 75 with the race car trailer on the back, and a rock must have come up and cratered against the condenser. So that must be the leak. Look at that. I get down there with the sniffer. Don't pick up anything. But I hear the hiss. How can that be? I get up my mechanic's stethoscope. And Danny thought I was losing my mind because I'm using a stethoscope now, a mechanic stethoscope, just to listen. I'm listening for an AC leak, right? And I'm kind of probing around the top of the condenser, and I don't. And then it's ooh, it's to the left, to the left, to the left. And you know, sort of the way the sun was coming in the window and the shadows, I could actually see the gas of the condenser, the, the refrigerant leaking out quick hit the recover button i found it about three inches from the point of impact where the little rock came up and hit the condenser there's the leak in it now i don't know what broke it's the same row of tube maybe when the rock hit the condenser it it cracked it against the weld because it's 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 close to the one side i'll i'll find out this week i'm gonna take it apart on tuesday but you know sometimes it's it's you're looking for the unexpected Sometimes in auto repair, you're looking for that. What's going to be different about this repair? Because it, it's it just seems like auto repair is, is becoming they're like it's like snowflakes. There's no two alike. Everyone is a little bit different, and you're using things you've learned in the past. And you know, here I am using a stethoscope, a mechanic stethoscope, to listen for an AC leak because the sniffer wouldn't pick it up. Of course, I think most of the AC sniffers are garbage anyway. I don't think half of them are worth a hoot, but. Um, uh, you know, it's just you're, you're you're always looking for a different way about it. Had a 2016 GMC Sierra, the the different ways you can get into trouble in a repair shop. And it came in the the owner had purchased new wheels out on eBay, and they were going to be his summer wheels, very nice, you know, chrome clad wheels off of a Denali. And the person he bought it from took his tire pressure sensors off the wheels and kept them with his truck. So Bill had purchased these wheels. Now he doesn't have, he doesn't have sensors. So he needs sensors and he needs them. He needs them installed and then programmed or coded to his vehicle. So we, 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 a little bit of confusion on what sensors to use. We got that sorted out. We, we get the sensors, we put them in and Usually in the past, and I learned something this week, usually in the past, we would, you know, clone the sensor. You take the sensor off the wheel, the sensor's bad or it's got a weak battery. You make a copy of it. You burn it by physical contact. It goes in the tool, hit the button, it burns it into memory and put it in the car and you're done. Didn't do that with this because we missed a step in that procedure. This is the first time we didn't have sensors to burn. We just figured we'd give it its own ID and away we go. Boy, were we surprised. We had four sensors in the in the vehicle on the on the tires and walk up with the tool and the tool reports no sensor found. Now wait a minute, how can that be? This the, the sensor has to have something in it because when we program or clone the sensor with an existing sensor, it always says a racing flash. So here's that word. I assumed that there was information in that sensor. Eh. Turns out there's not. It's an empty sensor. It's it's a dummy. It's completely empty. I could say it's like somebody on the side of the control panel, but I won't say that because I don't want to pick on Tom today. So um, uh, Tom once again votes. So what do you do? 
you got to take the four, you got to take the tires apart, and now you've got to manually program them back in the tool. It seems like an awful waste of time. Went on the website of Smart Sensor X31 Smart Sensor, and they have a software update that um, when they also have a new tool that will allow you to wirelessly program the sensors. New technology, right? I called up my guy at Bywise, Bywise Auto Parts here in New Jersey. They run a straight-up operation. Boy, I'm telling you, they are the best. Should have found, wish I had found them 30 years ago. Um, but, you know, just right as rain and, um, uh, geez, you know, I can't think of his name, but he showed Todd. Todd came out and saw me and um, uh, using the new tool from the folks at, at, at X31 or at Smart Sensor, he was able to, now watch this, watch the technology here. He was able to log into the car, and I, I read about this, that it was going to happen, and I was glad to see it work. He logged into the car, pulled the tire pressure sensor values out of the module where they're stored, put them in the tool, then took them from the tool and wirelessly transmitted them to each sensor in each corner, left front, right front, right rear, left rear, and the car was fixed. Look at the technology that's available to the repair shops today. That's crazy, right? That now we can wirelessly code tire pressure sensors. We don't even need to have direct contact. And the point becomes, and the bottom line becomes, that auto repair is something different every day. I used to think, and I was kind of disappointed, that auto repair was getting too difficult. You know, I longed for the days in 1978 where every GM car took a CP-176 choke pull-off because the primary choke pull-off went bad in October. I mean, I could count it like like the sun came up, right? October 3rd, the first cold day, everybody went out, hit the gas pedal, right? How many of you hit the gas pedal, set the choke? How many of you remember what a choke is? And, you know, you'd start it up and it would cough and, and, and miss and stumble and shut off and you couldn't keep the car running and it was a phone call. And we, I mean, we'd sell 50, 50 a week sometimes. It was crazy. We don't, we don't see 50 a week of anything anymore, <laughs> okay? It's, we see 50 different jobs, and they're all different, and they're all just, you know, uh, opposite ends of the scale of, of technology. And it's just, you know, it's going to be a challenge going forward to keep up with all this. Um, I'm ready for it. I know a lot of other guys are too, and they're always going to school, and they're always training, and they're always working hard to be ready for it. As a consumer, you've got to be ready for it too. You've got to talk to your mechanic more. You've got to be aware of the diversity of what they're seeing on a regular basis is all about. And by all means, when you go out to buy that new car, talk to them like a couple of people did to me this week. You know, can you work on this? Can you work on that? And it's not just a matter of can you work on that? Do you have the tools and the technology for that? All right? Because that's going to be the defining pivotal moment in auto repair life in the next 10 years, 15 years, if the aftermarket, if the automotive aftermarket continues, continues, um, you know, do we have the tools for this and can we get information? That's going to be key. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor coming back to open the garage doors up right after this. Don't go away. Keep 
Braun's number handy, 855-560-9900, for when you really need advice on your car. Here's Ron. Hey, let's get over and talk to Charlie in Springfield, Illinois. Charlie, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Ron, I have a used 2011 Ford Edge Limited. Okay. I bought it a few months ago for my second car. I really love the car. It has a problem, and it happens randomly and uh, kind of often now. The horn will start honking. It'll honk for 10 times and then quit. And uh, I did some research on this problem, and it appears this is a common problem with Ford Edges. Because uh, I read some blogs where a lot of owners posted the same problem. Yep. And they've taken it to Ford dealers, and uh, it is, they can't fix it. And they, as a matter of fact, some of the blogs say they seem to ignore the problem like it isn't there. Like they don't want to deal with it. So, mm. and I don't know if you've ever ran across anything like that or not yet. Similar but, things, uh, yeah, similar things. Um, let me let me ask you this, Charlie. Do um, uh, do you leave the car locked at night? Yes, I do. So it's out in front of the house, locked up. Yes, in my driveway, right. Do you have a garage? No, I don't. Um, you know, I would love to see. Well, let me ask you another question. There's no door ajar warning light. On the dashboard, is there? No, there isn't. Okay. Um, now, I, go ahead. I, I, I can't say that. Every once in a while, though, I'll get in the car, and that that, that light will come on. But it, there's nothing ajar. I hit the okay thing on the steering wheel, and it goes away. But right. there's no door ajar. But you've got all the doors closed. Yes. All right. So does this car, and I'm, got, I'm thinking it does, this car has to have the factory alarm, meaning that if the if the doors were closed and someone were to open it, the horn would go off as a mean of warning. That's what I understand, yes. Yeah. So, you know, what I'd like to see is if you left the car, and you can't do it because you don't have a, a, a garage, I'd love to see if you left the car closed, um, unlocked, does the horn still go off? Uh, it's, it's, it, no, every time it's went off, the car has been locked. Right. And I think what you're going to find, because what I'm getting to is, I think you've got a bad door jar switch. Well, that could be, maybe. All right. There's a uh-huh. bulletin. There's a bulletin from Ford. Do you have a Do you have a pencil, Charlie? Yes, I do. All right. Um, take a look at bulletin 14-0154. 14-01-54. And it talks about the door ajar light. Now, they say it has the door ajar light remaining illuminated, but in your case, that's not really the best description. But if you read the bulletin and, and get into it, what they're talking about is that certain year um, edges, explorers, flexes, and some of the Lincolns of the similar body styles, the MKXs and the MKTs, have problems with the door ajar switches. Okay. And they will randomly tell the BCM, the body computer, hey, the door's open. Uh-huh. If if it sees the door, if it sees, you know, quote unquote, sure. the, the the door open, even when it's not, if it sees that switch change state, it will think someone's breaking into the car and then uh-huh. cycle the horn on an alarm basis. And I bet right. it's I bet it's consistent. I bet this is a consistent number of beeps every time. Every time it's ten beeps. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, this yeah. is com- this is computer driven. You know, I have seen I have seen some cases where the horn pad itself, the piece you push, I've seen that on cars where that has an intermittent short or mm-hmm. poor contact, or it's twisted or warped or weathered or somehow beat up. But that's usually a case where somebody tells me the horn goes off and it just it's it's one constant beep all the time until no, this uh, is just ten ten short beeps. Yeah, yep. beep 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 beep. Right. Yes. Th- this this car thinks it's having a theft event. Okay. All right. So a if we went in if we went in using a good scan tool and looked at the body computer, is there a theft event PID? Sometimes there is. Sometimes uh-huh. it'll say theft event, yes or no. If it uh-huh. says yes, that means it saw a theft event when there wasn't one because obviously nobody was stealing the car. Right. All right. Um, are there any fault codes? Number two, are there any fault codes for intermittent door ajar circuit codes? Uh-huh. You know, a, a, a BCM, a body computer, can have a fault in any one of its circuits, uh, a, a bad door ajar switch. Sure. It'll never turn on a check engine light. It'll never turn on a dash warning light on that generation vehicle. Uh-huh. Everybody uh-huh. waits. Everybody's, you know, it's, it's good. Everybody's looking for codes. They're, they're looking at check engine lights going, hey, we're looking for a code. Nobody stops to think that every other module on the car has the ability to set codes, but it won't turn on any dash lights in a lot of cases. Okay. In, in the case of a door jar light, that's, that's the absolute truth. So do we uh-huh. have any fault codes? Number three. Get a look at that bulletin, and that bulletin talks about Ford has some special tooling that you can tie into the system, and they're cycling the latch enough times on a repeated basis, they're wiping the switch clean. I, you know, if if it were me, I'd probably put a switch in it, but you've got to figure out which door first. Sure. Well, even that message, when it comes up now, that message will... Has come up occasionally, and it says left door ajar. Okay, so you know what? Maybe we want to take a hard look at that left door switch yeah. and uh, see if we can get that to, you know, if we cycle it enough times, can we fool it and get it to think that it's open when it's really closed and vice versa? Maybe we'll see interior lights on or the lights won't come on, things like that. Read that bulletin, but I bet you this is a bad door ajar switch making the horn honk, and that's where you got to go. Charlie, let me know what happens. I appreciate the call, and I appreciate you being there. Good luck. Keep us posted. I'm Ron and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. He drives that way, but when it comes to fixing cars, Ron has car advice done right. 855-560-9900. Here's Ron. Hey, welcome back. Let's get on over and talk to Bill in Iowa, 38 Chevy. 38 Chevy. I think I remember those. How are you, Bill? Hey, great. Yes, sir. How can I help? Okay, here's the deal. It's got a 235 56 Chevrolet six-cylinder in it with Corvette headers. Okay. And it's stock with three-speed transmission on the floor. All right. It fell on its face, and I could not figure out what was wrong. We changed electrical wires. We changed points, condenser, the whole works. At a one-barrel carburetor, Rochester carburetor, one barrel on the intake manifold. Right. And it would always start up and run perfect until you accelerated it. And I thought it was in electrical. The whole problem was the accelerator pump in the carburetor was was pumping garbage gas 
and it fell on its face. Right. Was it? I took that carburetor off, turned it upside down, rinsed it out, put it back on, and it's ran perfect ever since. Now let me let me ask let me ask you this, Bill. Uh, for everyone else out there who's bringing their hot rod out of retirement uh, with the summer now, um, did it did it run good when you put it away, or is this a year round vehicle? It's a year-round vehicle. I drive it almost monthly, right? And it starts. I've I've taken it to car shows. Uh, I I just scoop the loops. We got several towns here in Iowa that they they call it the scoop the loop on Saturday nights. Uh, I'm not afraid to drive it from uh, Des Moines to Omaha. I stay off of Interstate 80 system because when the semi passes you. At 70 mile an hour and you're doing 50, it has a tendency to suck you off the road. Well, yeah, it's got to look pretty cool, though, a 38 Chevy on Route 80. That's got to be pretty neat, you know. Um, it just, you know, I, have, I have had it since 1962. Yeah. Um, it was my first love. I've had it in California on Long Beach in L.A. I've had it down in Biloxi, Mississippi and New Orleans. And I've still got it today. Can you imagine, you know, that, that you know, in 1938, that was the car, right? You'd, you'd drive that cross-country. Yes. Can you imagine going cross-country in that? Um, you know, yes. That's, 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 but then again, as you say, the, the interstate <laughs> highway system wasn't there. Everybody did 50-55. Um, so. we, had a, we had an Elderbrock double intake manifold on it when I drove it to California with two Rochester carburetors on her. And I could smoke tires in second gear. <laughs> Bill, that, I, and and if you've never been around, if you've never been around a six-cylinder Chevrolet or whatever with Corvette headers on it, it's indescribable the noise those duels will make. Bill, can I ask you a personal because question? Bill, yes, yeah. Um, just out of curiosity, how old are you? Uh, <laughs> I will turn seventy-five last week. Bill, you're you're you might be you might be America's oldest hot rodder, um, or, or one of the oh, oldest. No, yeah. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! I've gone to a lot of scoop the loops, and there's some pretty old fellas out there yeah. that uh, that, yeah. that we socialize with. I listen to your program periodically. I finally got the phone number here a minute ago, and I'm thinking. I'm going to see if I can get in. Uh, well, we're glad you did. I'm my my 38 Chevrolet has no computer system, no a couple. It doesn't even have a fuse panel in it because I've never updated it. Right. All I did when I bought it, we changed it to 12 volt system. Never changed the wiring, just changed the bulbs. Wow. Bill, I'll tell you because what, all your wiring for a six volt system is heavier than a twelve volt system. Right, right. You know, you're you're an example of what made the auto industry in the country, you know, so unique and interesting from the '60s on up, because everybody was always tinkering with something and using their brain power to make something better, quicker, better, faster more efficient and they didn't do it by writing a check to, to, to buy a car. You know, it's modify work with what you got. Yep. Um, you know, very cool. So very cool, we, sir. We, we, we compete in the stock class when we go to the shows because it's got the original, well, I got 15 inch 
tires on it instead of the little skinny 17 or 16s. We used different rims off of pickups back in the 60s, 50s. Yeah. And I don't have fancy rims. I got the, the stock Chevrolet hubcap that goes on the, the middle of the, with the clips on the middle of the rim. And uh, I got all the grill, the original grill in it. Uh, I, I put new glass in it two years ago, and that was the first time there was new glass in it. A, a boy in his love when affair I was at, with his truck. When, when I was at Offutt off at Air Force Base in 1966, I drove it and had it sandblasted out in the in a construction site, okay? Yeah. We. Yeah. Passed up the windows. I did it late afternoon, and I drove it 60 miles after that and put it in the body shop. It looked like an, a, a Coors Light aluminum beer can. <laughs> and that saved that body. That saved that body. Uh, Bill, listen. It's I'm, amazing how much. <laughs> well, it's amazing It's amazing how much fun you can have with a vehicle, right? And and look at all the return and enjoyment it's given you. Bill, I want to thank you for calling in. I, You know, guys like you are what makes doing, well, everybody makes doing the show so much fun. But hearing the stories just really makes my day and makes me realize just, you know, um, uh, how important cars are to this country and the culture of what it is and what it will continue to be for years to come. Bill, good luck to you in your 38 and continue driving and uh, enjoy it a lot, brother. Get out there and uh, I'll be right behind you. Just look over your shoulder. 855-560-9900. Ron and the Car Doctor coming back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the end of the car, Doctor. Let's get over to Jim in Delaware, 94 Ford Ranger. Jim, what's going on with this little Ranger? How can we help? Well, I got a 94 Ranger, 110,000 miles on it, standard transmission 4.0. All right. Uh, the, the original problem was, or the original situation was, uh, I when the, I would let the clutch out, it would when when it was cold, it would grab down towards the bottom of the pedal. After it got warm, it would start releasing up at the top. So I had everything replaced, flywheel, pressure plate, clutch, throw-out bearing, slave cylinder, everything. Okay. That was about a month ago. Right. And then about a week ago, the clutch went right to the floor. Nothing. So the mechanic said, well, you bought your parts online. Uh, I need to put some better parts in. So he redid the whole transmission again at my cost, no problem. But he said it was all ready to go, but he said he had like he tried for like four hours to bleed the clutch. He said it was okay, great. So I go pick it up. It does release right at the floor. Great. However, now it won't go into first gear and it won't go into reverse, reverse gear. Right. Because the clutch doesn't have enough stroke on it because there isn't enough clutch pedal because it's still not bled properly. So yeah. let me let me let and me he, let me back up and comment about a few things. Um and it's funny, we were talking about this at lunch three days ago at the shop. We've come to the conclusion that uh, you know, barring making this a standard statement but it seems like clutch parts in, in a lot of vehicles today, it's just they're real picky, and it's got to be a real good quality name brand component. And if you can't get something of a name brand caliper, something that's got a real good following and real good reviews and ratings, a lot of this stuff online, depending upon where it's coming from, could be real cheap junk from overseas, and it just doesn't pay. 
That being said, you know, a Ford clutch, a Jeep clutch, and so on, it seems like the OE manufacturer, although they're buying it from somebody too, and if you can find out who they're buying it from, that's fine. But my point becomes good quality parts. That's number one. Number two, you have a bad clutch pedal, right? The pedal doesn't feel the greatest. It's probably just grabbing down low off the floor, and then the rest of it just feels like real soft in its air. Is that a true statement? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, he's got to bleed this, but, you know, and this is, listen, I've got an 87 Ranger 3.0 five-speed manual. I've been down this road. I've lived this nightmare, all right? Um, I've put three clutches in the Ranger, two clutches in this Ranger over the last uh, 15 years, and it just, uh, you know, it's just, it's horrible to bleed. You can try the factory bleed procedure, which to me is a joke. I think the engineer that, that designed this system should be sh- shot, hung, and sent to the Russian front, as we say on Hogan's Heroes, if that's possible. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's, just, it's just a lousy design. you got to get the front of the vehicle two to three feet off the ground. All right? So typically what we'll do is we'll set the vehicle up on either a wheel hoist or the lift itself, or we'll put floor jacks and jack stands under the frame. You get the nose two to three feet off the ground. All right? Push the clutch slowly in and out, half the travel, until some resistance is felt. Because if you look at the angle of the the master or the, the, the slave on this, it's it's there's a, there's an angle to it. It's it's like it's nose down if I remember right, and and the problem is yeah, if there's sir. if there's any air at the bottom, there's no way to get it out. It, there, yeah. you know the air it just doesn't rise. So you've got to raise the nose to get the air to move. All right. Okay. I I've I've seen reports and I've had the experience. It could take fifty to a hundred strokes of that pedal before you get any kind of resistance to that pedal to, to, so that you know you're purging the air, all right? And then you can yes. go through and bleed it, all right? You know, open the bleeder and go through manual bleed. Now, the, the third alternative, which, you know, you can, get, you can do the factory procedure, which is in the books. You can do that, getting it high off the ground. I've also done it where I've left it three feet off the ground, get the nose up high in the air, leave the bleeder open, put a drip pan underneath it, and let it sit there. And let it burp air on its own and just let it gravity bleed and, and, and see how long, if anything, if that changes anything. Fourth method. Okay. Fourth method. And I know they're out there. I haven't I haven't seen them new in a while. But we used to call them syringe bleeders. All right? A syringe bleeder was a giant hypodermic with a rubber cone on the end. We would gotcha. fill it with brake fluid. And, you know, you got to be like a doctor, right? Like Hawkeye on MASH. you got to sit there and flick the bubbles out of it so you get all the bubbles out the end. And then you put the rubber d- adapter, the rubber cone, on the end of the bleeder with the bleeder open and push fluid through the slave, up the line, into the master, and then out the top of the reservoir. All right? The problem okay. is, The problem is if the air is lower than where the line comes in, you won't catch it, so you have to do the two, three feet off the ground first and then do the syringe move to get it to come out. This is, okay. I'm telling you, you know, you look at this and you think, how could they design a system that can't be bled? It's it's the stupidest thing in the world. It's But they do it, and they got away with it, and, uh, you know, now I guess it, it doesn't... It keeps you in business, though. Well, I'll tell you what, it keeps me on my toes, but yeah, it, it it really sounds like as long as he used a good quality clutch, which I'm going to guess that he did, 
because he was smart enough yeah. to know not to buy something online, then um, it sounds like it needs to be bled. The giveaway is it doesn't work in first and reverse, and that tells me that the clutch isn't being depressed far enough. All right? And that's why it's it's let's start with bleeding at first. Go through that routine. If you need more, Ron at Cardoctorshow.com or give me a call next week, one or the other. All right, sir? Hey, Jim, no, I'll tell you I, what. Stay on the I line. Jimmy, stay on the line because uh, we're going to be sending out a copy of OBD, OBD2 Diagnostics Made Easy by Steve Cook. Let Tom Ray get your information for everybody else. It's up on Amazon. Steve Cook is an accomplished instructor for many, many years um, out by uh, out in the Ohio area, Illinois area. And uh, Steve wrote a real great book about OBD, OBD2 Diagnostics. We want to send you out a copy of that and uh, good reading and good uh, basic mechanics and things like that. All right, sir, stay on the line. Tom will get your information. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We're coming back right after this. Wow, look at that. Is it my turn? Okay, thank you. Mikey and I were out of of sorts there. I love you, Mikey. Um, Who am I? Oh, I'm Ron and Andy the car doctor. That's right. Let's go to Bob in Long Island. We were both so excited. Bob, how are you? Hey, Ron. It's Bob. How are you? Good, sir. Um, What do you got? Well, uh, about a week, week and a half ago, the boy comes in and he got a check engine light. It's a 2008 uh, Charger 3.5 PO344. And uh, we pull the code, and it's intermittent signal from the can sensor. Okay. So I'm like, you know what? What would Ron do? Let's check the codes. So I go to freeze frame, and I see, hmm, happened at 5,900 RPMs. Mm. So I'm, think- I'm thinking it's mechanical. Right. So I check for voltage and reference on uh, both the cam and the crank sensor. And then I decide to look for a crack in the pulse ring on the back of the cam pulley. So I'm in there with a little light, and I'm turning the motor over, turning the motor over. Then I realize that the the pulse ring is just loose. It's wobbling on the back of the pulley. Okay, order a pulley. Order a pulley, take the cover off. Sure is a long bolt, isn't it? Boy, Ron, could you please explain that one to me? Yeah. Ten and three-quarter inches. The hardest part of the job was taking the radiator out because of the Campbell. Right. And I can actually tell you, I've I've run into this before. I ran into this way back when. And I actually spoke to somebody, a friend of a friend, who was a Chrysler engine. He actually was, let let me get his official title. He was Chrysler valve train camshaft development. He was a Chrysler camshaft valve train and uh, uh, camshaft valve train engineer in charge of development. He was the research guy. And the thought process was because of the twist load, the torsional load that that camshaft places on the valve train, they needed to put a longer bolt for better clamp load to hold the sprocket to the cam so that it doesn't fall off at high RPM. How's that for a cockamamie story? That's a cockamamie story, because I had a lot of cams and engines before, and I've never seen nothing like that before. Me neither, but that was the answer I got, and I was just like, okay, I, you know, personally, I think somebody made the mistake, and they had a leftover, and they didn't know what else to do with it, and they shoved that engine into a vehicle where taking the radiator out was the only way you could change the sprocket, but that was the answer I got. I did ask that of the Chrysler engineer that day, and for all I know, he still got his job, and I've still got mine, and I'll continue to do mine, because I'm Ron Anini and the car doctor reminding you, good mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. See yeah.